0: A Gentle Thief, written and performed by Amanda Dixon. Episode 11. In episode 10, Maddie wakes up for a day at school with her student Eduardo waiting for her there. She is amazed to realize when she gets to school that she has forgotten today is Christmas week and the kids are off. But she spends the day with Eduardo and helps him with his writing. She talks to Khan early that morning and learns that he has made an appointment for them with a counselor and meets there at Dr. Theron's office to talk with a counselor that night. She explains that the idea to see the counselor was Khan's idea and talks about how she was humiliated when Khan lied about their having employees only at the Christmas party. And then when it's Khan's turn to talk, he talks about how he's been preoccupied with death. And now episode 11 of A Gentle Thief. Valentine's Day, 2004. Sophie wore her red skirt suit to work. It was bright red, the color of a child's lips after eating a popsicle, and it was a little snug. Well, more than a little. She couldn't get the zipper up in the back, so she zipped it as far as she could and kept her jacket on to cover the offense. All throughout the day, she kept getting overheated and wanting to take it off, but didn't dare for fear of revealing herself. Today, Sophie had a negotiation at the U.S. Attorney's Office on another case she was handling with Rick. This one involved a lovely man, a businessman, husband and father of three girls, who was charged with several felonies regarding his actions as a CEO. Sophie was starting to see a pattern with the firm's federal criminal law clients, most of them were businessmen determined to keep their companies afloat during challenging times who would send good money after bad. That, in and of itself, would never get the attention of the U.S. Attorney. It was only if those practices led to the loss of money that some stockholder would sue and, unsatisfied with a financial pound of flesh, would then seek to send the officers of the company to jail. That's when Day Openshaw, would get involved, way too late in the game to affect the facts, there solely to interpret them in a way that would convince the chief federal prosecutor to go after a different fish. He would rarely budge, unless he needed something from Rick on another case. That day, David Marsh, U.S. attorney for the District of Nevada, was called out of the office unexpectedly. So when Rick and Sophie arrived at 11 a.m. sharp, they got passed off to one of the deputies. Rick didn't like that. Someone should have called to notify him. I'm Assistant U.S. Attorney Brooke Davis. A startlingly large woman with dyed hair and heavy makeup said to Rick and Sophie without offering her hand. She gestured toward the door and walked with some difficulty ahead of them down the hall to a small, plainly decorated conference room that looked like something from a Dateline NBC sting operation. Dave asked me to talk with you about Mr. Robert Tannen, who has been identified by this office as a person of interest in one of our investigations. She said as she sat down, not offering them anything to drink. Rick smirked. Oh, he did, did he? (laughs) And where is Dave? He was called away, the woman answered, without offering more. You mean called home, as in back to God? I'm sorry, I hadn't heard... Rick laughed his loud, breathy laugh. "'He can't be with us today,' Ms. Davis dismissed Rick. "'That's too bad,' Rick sat up. "'I guess he doesn't need the testimony from Herman and Trudeau in the Wyatt case, after all. "'I had thought he was counting on them, counting on me to deliver them. "'But obviously he is sailing along just fine wherever he's been called away to. "'So you just tell Dave when he gets around to coming back to work "'that I don't appreciate him yanking my chain.' He stood up. Sophie and Miss Davis followed with some hesitation. Oh, yeah, and if you think you can remember it, tell him this, too, Rick continued. Tell him the only thing he can charge Tannen with is making a false statement. That's it. And that, not that you care, would be the right outcome. This guy is a good guy who could go the distance and be real sympathetic to a jury. We'll take two counts of false statement with him. That's it. Have him call me on that, and I'll think about what he needs for Wyatt. I am perfectly prepared to conduct this negotiation with you, Mr. Day. Brooke Davis was starting to visibly sweat. The skin on her forehead and cheeks, so heavily caked with foundation was getting clammy. Oh, no, you're not. Rick scoffed and walked out of the conference room and back down the hall. Rick's cell phone started to ring as they reached the lobby. Get a parking validation and meet me at the car. Rick barked at Sophie and took the call. Sophie waited for the validation, then headed for the car. She eased onto the passenger seat in Rick's sedan, hoping the zipper on her skirt didn't inch any farther from the movement. She felt the strain of the fabric against her hips and thighs and wondered why she had insisted on wearing red on Valentine's Day. Rick clicked off the phone. You know, if you were 20 pounds lighter, Brownlee, you'd be a real distraction around the office. At 4 o'clock that afternoon, Sophie felt inspired. Inspired to go home. She didn't have it in her to go the extra mile today. She just wanted to go home and take off that skirt. The thick red line cutting into her stomach was starting to feel permanent. She longed for the comfort of her nightgown and her husband. Most of her Valentine's spirit had left her, since Rick's comment that morning in the parking garage. Is that all she was? Too fat to be a distraction? Too unimportant to be introduced to anyone, even the sour-faced assistant U.S. attorney? She didn't tell Rosie where she was going. She didn't stop by Rick's office to see if he needed anything else. She didn't leave her light on to pretend she was coming back in case anybody asked. She didn't even say goodbye to Connie on the way out. She just grabbed her briefcase, tugged at her zipper to pull it up as far as it would go, made sure her jacket was covering, and left. She called Sean from her cell phone. Hi, baby. Guess where I am? Sophie teased her husband. On your way home, he replied. "'How did you know? It was supposed to be a surprise!' she pouted. "'I just called the office, and Rosie said your light was out. "'Are you really done for the day?' "'Yep,' she said, proud of herself. "'And I'm going to stop by Albertson's and get something to make us dinner.' "'Too late. I beat you to it.' "'Where are you?' Sophie asked with curiosity in her voice. "'I'm already home.' "'You are not!' "'I'm standing here in the kitchen right now, marinating steaks.' And I've got a surprise for you. What did you do? Come home and see it for yourself. And if your cell phone rings, he urged, don't answer it. Just tell Rick tomorrow that your battery was running low. Christmas Eve, 1983. Maddie went out to buy Con's gift today. She had gone back and forth between wanting to buy him something extravagant and not wanting to buy anything at all. Finally, without conviction, she walked into the office supply store and bought him a journal. It was smaller than a school notebook, just slightly, covered in a soft brown leather. Her thought was that he was writing the story of her life anyway. He might as well do it literally. Yeah, she thought, with more conviction after she paid for it, this would be perfect maddie noticed the shoppers hurrying from place to place men looking harried comparing perfumes in the drugstore children too excited to hear their parents telling them it's time to go she noticed a threesome of women walking down the street arm in arm they had no packages and seemed to be in no hurry the one in the middle was older and may have been the mother of the other two or possibly older sister their happiness was like snow when she got back to the car she flipped on the radio there he was Hearing Con on the radio always gave her a voyeuristic feeling, as if it was the only way she was capable of being intimate with him, here in these least of intimate settings. When Maddie passed Junior's house, the lights were still off. Junior must be working a full day on Christmas Eve. That was like him, to put in a full day, maybe even working into the evening, to give someone the finishing touches on a kitchen or dining room they were hoping to have done for Christmas Day. "'Maddie pulled in front of her house, turned off the SUV, "'just then realizing that Con's voice stopped "'with the stopping of the car. "'She took a reluctant breath, grabbed the groceries, "'and headed to the door. "'She worked slowly in the kitchen, "'unsure of when Con would be there for dinner. "'Their plans had not been exact, "'just a foggy see-you-after-work "'when they talked the night before. "'His air shift ended at six, "'but he usually didn't get there until seven or so "'when they were getting together.' She was hoping he might be earlier tonight, because it was Christmas Eve. Their session with Dr. Theron had been productive the night before. At least they had talked about feelings, but it left Maddie with a chill. What was all that business about death? His preoccupation with death, somehow suggesting that she was bringing this out in him? Maddie took the chicken out of its plastic wrapping, worrying about the blood that escaped on the counter and the salmonella it might contain. She washed the bird in the sink and patted it dry with a paper towel. Then she rubbed olive oil over the breasts and the legs and wings, flipped it over and rubbed the back the same way. She sprinkled salt and pepper all over. Then she stuck a fork in a lemon and released the juices before placing it inside the chicken. She placed the chicken in a roasting pot, covered it, and set the oven for 3.50, 5 p.m., She would put the chicken in the oven now, knowing it would be done by six thirty or so, hoping he would be there before dinner was ready. Maddie went to draw a bath. She still had plenty of time for a hot soak before Con got there. She put her hand under the flow, turning up the temperature to as hot as she could stand it, and then squeezed some of her favorite bubbles under the stream. She kicked off her shoes and stepped out of her clothes. Standing in front of the bathroom mirror, she reached for her toothbrush and then stopped. Her face looked a little hollow. She noticed for the first time that she had lost weight. She stared at her reflection, the inward slant of her waist, then came back to the prominence of her eyes. A shudder ran through her. It had been an hour since she got out of the bath, lotioned her body smooth, and put on a soft light blue sweater and her favorite jeans. She had considered the bright red sweater with the snowflakes on it that had been a gift from a well-meaning friend a couple years ago, but then opted for blue, She wasn't sure she'd ever be a Christmas sweater type of girl. Con should be here soon, she thought, any minute now. She checked the chicken. It was browning a little sooner than she hoped. She turned the temperature down slightly on the stove and scooped some of the juices to baste the bird. Please don't dry out. Please don't dry out, she whispered, feeling the familiar lack of confidence in her cooking. Maddie thought she might read, but she couldn't seem to concentrate enough tonight to follow a story. The news ended and the Christmas specials began. Channel 5 was airing It's a Wonderful Life. Maddie wished she could handle that movie, wanted to not feel threatened by it, but a portrayal of love of that magnitude was just too sharp. Maddie thought about calling her mother. Then she thought about calling Robert. Before she was able to switch the channel, Maddie heard a car door slam. It sounded like Con's Jeep. Who else would be here on Christmas Eve? It had grown too dark to make out from the couch who was on the porch or what car was in front. She had forgotten to turn the outside light on. Maddie opened the door, telling herself it must be Junior, but sensing it wasn't. Surprised to see me? Robert smiled. Yeah, I'm surprised, but glad. She meant that. After only a brief awkwardness, Maddie invited her ex husband in. What are you doing here? she asked softly. He didn't answer right away. Maddie noticed a tightness in his face. Do you want some tea or something? Maddie offered, hoping he'd say no because she didn't want him to be here when Con got there. Thank you, Robert replied. Maddie sensed something wrong, something weaker about him, maybe even a little defensive. She was worrying about that and the thought of Con showing up as she went to the kitchen to put the kettle on the stove and get the tea bags out of the cupboard. Tonight was not the night for a big scene with Robert. Why had he waited all this time to show up and want to talk Christmas Eve? Was it just the holidays? Merry Christmas, he said as he raised his mug to toast her. He smiled around his mouth, but not his eyes. I have to tell you something, he said, putting the mug down on the coffee table next to the baby Afghan. His eyes paused on. I saw something tonight, and I need to tell you. What? Khan I saw Con at the bar. He had been there for a while from the looks of it. He had his arm, among other things, around a hard-looking blonde. It was obvious Robert took no pleasure in delivering this news, although he certainly could have. I just thought you should know, he said, apologizing now. Thanks, she whispered. They sat in silence for several minutes Both staring toward the television Where the sound was turned down on It's a Wonderful Life Jimmy Stewart was about to kiss the girl in the hallway It was the scene where he stops by her house And they wind up on the phone together Holding the receiver close between them Barely hearing what the man is saying on the other end Great movie, Robert said I could never watch it Maddie replied from somewhere far away Her voice had no inflection or volume I remember Robert replied with warmth. Maddie fell asleep sometime after two the next morning. She couldn't bring herself to go to bed. It felt so final, like she was giving up and admitting that Con was never coming. She watched old Christmas specials of the Osmonds and Bing Crosby. She watched late-night CNN reports from celebrations around the globe. She crocheted and drank lukewarm tea until there were no more excuses. Eventually, she took the dried-out chicken from the oven and threw it away. She noticed the ham in the fridge and felt pathetic. Sometime after midnight, Maddie turned off the lights and looked out at the snow, still falling in the porch light. She took a sleeping pill. When the light first pressed in on her eyelids the next morning, it felt like Sunday light. "'Sunday had a quality all of its own to Maddie, "'everything about it, but especially the light. "'It was as if the light coming through the window "'had a reverence to it. "'It carried a message on its beams from God, saying, "'Rest now.' "'Before Maddie was completely conscious, "'before the specific memory of the longing "'from the night before was tangible, "'a wave of desperation reached her. "'It flowed over her, along the length of her body, "'leaving her too heavy to get out of bed. "'The world was so quiet.' "'It's Christmas,' Maddie thought. "'Does anyone wish they were with me? "'I wonder if my parents will call today?' "'Maddie had always talked with her parents on Christmas Day, "'or at least they had called. "'Some years she was too mad at them to take the call, "'but they had always called. "'Maybe she wouldn't wait for them to call this year. "'Maybe her mom's voice would sound good. "'She got out of bed, a little dizzy at the start, "'and went to find the phone.' She brought it back to bed and started to dial her mother before she clicked off. She didn't want to be on the line in case Con called. She had no idea what time it was and didn't care. She had nowhere to be today. She had no guests coming for Christmas dinner, no one to get dressed for, nothing to do. She had no tree, no presents to open, only one to give that would go ungiven. There was nothing Nothing but the hint of a sense of strength coming from somewhere. In that place where she had felt so hollow for weeks, there was something. Something that felt like acceptance. Maddie felt the itchy feeling of having slept in her clothes all night. She detested sleeping in anything but her huge ancient t-shirts. They were the only texture she could stand next to her skin in the night. The only comfort she craved. But last night, she had gotten into bed in her jeans and blue sweater, taken her pill, and lied there waiting for it to take her away. This morning, she rubbed her skin with lotion and put her biggest navy blue sweatpants on, then cinched them at the waist. These sweatpants had to be the most unattractive piece of clothing she owned, and therefore went perfectly with the old Exeter sweatshirt she put on over her running bra, then her athletic socks and running shoes. Hair pulled back severely before the black cap covered it up. Her sunglasses and mittens, and she was ready. Opening the door without taking her keys, she walked with determination onto the porch and started down the lane, having absolutely no idea where she was going, but glad to be on the move. The streets of Cedar City were quiet. She saw an occasional minivan pass by on its way to grandmother's house. "'She noticed the young girl working at Maverick... "'standing in the cold outside to have a cigarette break. "'She kept walking. "'She noticed the sky was starting to get darker... "'and the temperature dropping. "'Could it be that late in the day already? "'She suddenly had no idea how long she had been out... "'no idea what time it was when she left the house. "'It could have been afternoon. "'Now that she thought about it, it didn't matter. "'Con wasn't coming. "'There would be no cooking today.' No potatoes or pies or fresh rolls. She nearly started to cry again when she thought, good, what a relief. I don't like ham. The thought surprised her. She didn't like ham? On Christmas Day, was that really true? Yes, she did not feel like ham. And she did not feel like cooking. She wanted to eat a box of graham crackers dipped in whole milk and read something scandalous. She turned toward home now with some purpose, walked up two hundred north past the ticket office of the festival, and admired the colorful flags blowing in the breeze. She couldn't get over how quiet it was, how perfect. She saw lights on in the windows of nearly every home she passed, but there was no sound. As she rounded the corner onto Main Street, the peace was interrupted by the sound of a car in the distance. Usually Main Street, even in this small town, was rather noisy with cars and businesses, but not today. Today, the sound of a single engine shifting stood out like an Air Force jet. As the car approached her from behind, she thought it sounded a little more like a Jeep. Maddie reached the corner of Main Street and Center and started to cross over and head up the hill to her home. As she reached the other side of the wide street, the Jeep passed her. It was Con. He didn't stop.